Welcome to Change Now. Yes, because we need to change now. Now is when your impact story starts. Listen, get inspired by visionary change makers, and be part of the change. Today, it's urgent to think about economic alternatives based on slowing down our activities and frugality. In this episode, explore the concept of degrowth with Timothée Parik, researcher in ecological economics. Can degrowth be a genuine project for our society? And how can we envision degrowth that doesn't lead to collapse? I have five words for you. And I was hoping to be original, so maybe those are five words you have not heard yet at Change Now. Or maybe these five words have been pronounced repeatedly yesterday, and I will look like an obsolete idiot. These five words are, we must urgently dismantle capitalism. So, hello everyone, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. I was thinking about one figure that could capture the entirety of the argument that I'm going to present to you today, the argument that led me analytically to that outrageous five words I have just spoken. And the figure is this. So you can look at the roller coaster we have here. And in that short moment we have, I want to clarify a few concepts. I want to be talking about economic growth. I want to talk about degrowth. I want to talk about post-growth. I want to talk about objection to growth, about sufficiency, about well-being economy. And I want to make a difference between these concepts. But let me start with these broad three phases. Economic growth. When I tell you economic growth, you will think about many different things. Some people will think about innovation, modernity, civilization, well-being. Some people will think about abundance of public services. Some people will think about jobs. Economic growth has become this almost magical totem of our modern economies. And we project into that concept of economic growth all kinds of expectations. And I'm sorry to break it to you. I, mean, I hate doing this, but economic growth is actually much more boring than this. Economic growth is the dullest thing you can think of. It's just the increase in GDP, gross domestic product. A very dull and old indicators that was born in the 1930s. Economic growth has nothing to do with quality. It has nothing to do with evolution. It is basically an indicator of economic agitation. When I say agitation, imagine a little ant hill. And then the ants all of a sudden are just moving around to go and fetch food. Well, macroeconomically, if you look at an economy and you look at the monetary side of this economy, so basically only the selling and buying of stuff with money. Well, when we buy and sell more stuff, that makes GDP goes up. When you understand this, that GDP is a bit of a dull indicator, I think this is the first entry point to realize that it is a completely 
misguided objective to run an entire economy. Basically, GDP is a volume-based quantity movement indicator. It would be, you know, trying to run your economy just looking at GDP is the very same thing as trying to estimate your personal happiness just looking at the number of steps you take every day. Step, step, step. I can, you know, go from A to C, like really where I want to go, and that makes me happy, a satisfying need. Or I can just step, step, step. Step, 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 step. The argument I want to develop here is that economic growth in high-income countries today is a bit of that step, 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 an economy being stuck on itself, self-developing its own goods and services just to fit within a system where every single actor organizes its economic activity around the maximization of financial indicators. Income for individuals, profits for company, GDP for governments. We're only looking at the monetary speedometer and what we want is steps, steps, steps. No matter where we go, I want more steps. The problem with this stepping approach, it could just be just absurd, like a very Sisyphus model of development where the goal is just to have more monetary steps. The problem is that we realize that the more economic activity we have, the more pressure we exert on ecosystems. So now, I don't know if many people here have been talking about green growth. Green growth is this idea that you can decouple economic activity, GDP, monetary agitation. You can decouple it from the use of natural resources. And if indeed you can do this, then you're fine. You can grow forever. We can make more steps and more steps without ever, you know, overshooting planetary boundaries. My research for the last few years has been... I've been trying very hard to show that this is true, actually. Many people don't really understand this, but I would love green growth to be a real thing. Like, that would be, like, one entire thing of my agenda. Like, I would basically go part-time and spend the rest of my days just surfing. That would be just problem solved. But I've been spending years trying to find evidence that this green growth is a thing, and I have not found any. The problem when we talk about green growth is that we are very selective as to how we define sustainability. Basically, we look at carbon, we look at territorial emission, we look at short periods of time, and then if we find any indication that somehow things are getting a bit better, even though a bit better might mean just slight decrease in emissions, then we, you know, Saber the champagne and be like, call it green growth, don't worry. We just send a message to all the degrowthers, all the heterodox economics guys, no need to work on plan Bs, it's fine, we've greened it, it's all good. Problem is, sustainability is not only a matter of just, you know, efforts. Uh, the climate is not going to give us a gold star for just good efforts. What we need is to achieve specific environmental thresholds. We need to fall back within planetary boundaries concerning material footprint, use of fresh water, air, water pollutions, greenhouse gas emissions, impact on biodiversity, land change, all of that, all together. 
And the evidence so far shows us that there is no country in the history of our species that has managed to reduce this multi-impact, multi-use ecological footprint while producing and consuming more. When you think about it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, think of one single economic activity that doesn't require energy or materials. Anything involving a human needs energy. You need to eat, you need to wear clothes, you need to move yourself, you need to shelter yourself. And so we realized that this ideal of a dematerialized economy is a bit disconnected from the biophysical reality of the world and from the laws of physics and biology. But okay, so there's a problem with economic growth. If I summarize this twofold problem, first, it is ecologically unsustainable. Even if, that was, even if economic growth was perfectly correlated with quality of life, every time GDP grows, you know, the money appears in the pockets of the worst off in society, and that's so great. Every time, you know, we make more steps, that means, you know, we get new subways and new trams and back lanes. Even if that was the case, there would be a sustainability problem. But we've seen that this is not the case. In high-income countries, economic growth is decorrelated from quality of life. So again, just creating more economic activity for the sake of economic activity is just an absurd objective. And we'll get back to this when we talk about a well-being economy. So why talking about degrowth and what is degrowth? Degrowth is a downscaling of production and consumption. And at this point, it is the very same thing as a recession. You can see it in your eyes. That's a scary thing to say. But don't worry, because I've got some other stuff at the end of the definition. You can see on the graph. So a downscaling of production and consumption to reduce environmental footprint. First difference between degrowth and a recession. The goal is to target nature-intensive goods and services in parts of the world where these have a very big impact on ecosystems. So this is not just, you know, shrinking the size of your economy for the sake of it. It's just about targeting the sectors, the goods and services that you could reduce in order to shrink your ecological footprint. And then there's, you, can, you need to do this in a specific manner. In the degrowth literature, there's these three principles of democracy social justice and well-being. They're always attached to the term. So downscaling of production and consumption that is democratically planned it can be at many different levels. It can be within a cooperative or within any business that has a democratic governance where you decide, okay, we have to produce less. How do we do? What do we start with? Then you decide. It can be within a municipality, within, let's say, some participatory budget. Same thing we are overshooting our, let's say, water or carbon target. We need to produce less. What do we start with? It can be at the level of a household, or it can be at the level of a country, it can be at the level of a continent. You see, at each of these levels, you need to plan these kind of reduction. And in the way you plan it, you need to take into account inequality. We know this because today, environmental pressures, they are highly concentrated. What does that mean? It means there is a correlation between income and even more so wealth and ecological footprint. Okay? So if you want to shrink ecological footprint, it's very 
ineffective to ask everyone to tighten their belts. You need to look at emissions and pressures in general where they are. And so when you're going to just plan for that slowdown of economic activities, you need first to be very selective as to whose actors uh, you want to just change behavior. And then you, would also, you really want to take into account the potential risk of such a transition because we live in an economy that is already unequal. And so planning in a way that is equitable means taking into account responsibility and also vulnerability. And then the last one, while improving well-being or for the sake of improving well-being or in a way that is compatible with well-being, you phrase it the way you want. But what's interesting about the concept of degrowth is that, and that's a bold hypothesis I've been exploring in my research, I know it's going to sound crazy, but a smaller, slower economy could also be a sweeter economy. And by that, I mean, first, a very statistical thing. If we live in economies where economic growth, GDP per capita, has been decorrelated from quality of life from a long time, then variation in GDP are not going to have a huge impact on quality of life, okay? But then, if we admit that for a number of years we've been having what some economists call uneconomic growth, meaning monetary activities that have more social and ecological cost than benefits. We've been, for example, building things on rich soil, and that has caused the disappearance of biodiversity. The things we've been building we thought were very cool, parking lots, but we realized we lost essential ecosystem services whose value was so much higher than the utility we derived from just being able to park my third car in this parking lot. And so degrowth in that sense, as a reversal of uneconomic growth, makes us richer. I know, like, if you're an economist, call 911 if you start to feel dizzy. So degrowth in that sense, we understand, is a temporary phase. Same as growth, actually, in economy, if you have unmet need, you need to develop some productive capacities. You need to start new businesses. You need to invest in some activities to develop the ability to satisfy these needs. And actually, many countries right now, the most vulnerable countries in the world, will need to do a lot of that in the coming years, which makes it so much important for high-income countries to liberate as many natural resources as possible for that process. So growth as this kind of temporary process of stepping up to a scale where your productive capacity is enough, is sufficient to satisfy the needs of your population. Degrowth is the same. It's a temporary diet, okay? Now we're just in biophysically obese economies with the huge footprints that bears no relation to the carrying capacity of their ecosystems. So we put them on a diet and we see it's a, it's a social ecological, cultural, political challenge to organize this, but the idea is just at the end of this transition, you have an economy that is smaller, slower, but that fits within its biocapacity. And of course, the analogy I always make is that this should be a diet, not an amputation. I mean, nobody cares about GDP like this. Some, some people keep focusing on GDP, I'm like, you know, you compare a diet to an amputation, I could cut my leg off and I lose 20 kilos, you know, or I could have a diet and lose 20 kilos. Degrowth is more of a diet 
kind of transition, which is what I think we should be aiming for. So degrowth, temporary phase, leading to this kind of new equilibrium. The concept of equilibrium that comes back to the limits to growth in the 1970s, so this post-growth economy. I like to call it a steady state economy. So when I tell steady state, imagine an economy which fluctuates slightly. When there's an unmet need, you produce a bit more. When that need is fulfilled, you produce a bit less. When your biocapacity increases, maybe because of technological progress, great. You get potential growth. You don't have to use it if socially it's unnecessary, but you can. Same thing, if you have one of your ecosystems that crashes, it needs a bit of a diet, and then it fluctuates. And that post-growth economy, in terms of software, cannot be a capitalist economy. When it, capitalism, in the very way that a, a capitalist system is organized, it's organized around the maximization of the accumulation of capital which capital, by definition, is a resource you mobilize in order to produce something else that has a higher value than that first resource is. So instead of a capitalist economy, we want that post-growth economy to be a well-being economy. So an economy that is organized around the satisfaction of concrete needs, and where everything, including money, everything monetary, is only a means to that fundamental end, which should be the satisfaction of well-being.